What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Bird Talk. This is episode six. Going to be a fun show that we have going on here in front of us today. It's a little bit longer than some of the shows. I believe we're looking at an hour and 20 minutes, but we get into a lot of really good stuff, I think, that you guys are going to enjoy on this show. And in this show, welcome on our first guest on the show, Justin Berkeley, Northern Forest Gun Dogs. I met Justin going on five years ago now at a field trial. We were the only two that showed up with Brittany's and we kind of hit it off there. And ever since then, we've been hunting together, running our dogs together. It's been fun over the years to grow together as in the aspect of hunting, bird dogs, CR, you know, what we have going for our string of dogs grow. We started out with just a dog a piece. Now we're looking at up to four dogs a piece and it's just been a fun ride to go on this adventure together and I'm excited to have Justin on the show get into a few different topics and specifically on this show we had viewers sent in discussion points topics questions that they wanted to hear talk about and on this show we got into a few different things including shooting busted birds running dogs on pheasants versus grouse and then going back and forth between the two birds and how it can affect your dog traveling with dogs on hunting trips getting dogs to naturally retrieve woodcock versus grouse cover and then we finish it all off with strategies for approaching rough grouse covers so kind of a multi-aspect show that we have here but it was fun to do it in the the point of view from one person to another and kind of how our thoughts mesh together and then how we also looked at things and approached them a little bit differently so Again, like I said, cool show, enjoyed it doing it, and I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing some of the things we talked about, so with that said, let's go ahead and get into it. All right, here we go. Round three, yeah, third, times, third time's the charm here. This is our third opportunity, or not opportunity, but third, third time, third attempt of recording this show. We've got puppies going in the background now, yeah. piping in. Yeah, they're waking up. <laughs> yup. <laughs> we've just for some context, this is the third time we've tried recording this show. Something happened to the audio file on each one, and we've lost the previous two. So now we're here. We are back for round three yep. to give it another shot. It's karma with me. It seems to happen every year. I get GoPro footage, and the car just gets deleted. Tech. I don't like technology, and technology does not like me. So. We're at it again. Yes, Justin and his track record of technology is not the greatest, and they kind of have a frustrating little relationship going on together. He's always, oh, I lost my GoPro footage again. Yeah, a few times. So, yeah, I'm blaming that on this. We won't call it my fault. Of course not. So oh, Yeah, I can totally take blame for that. <laughs> so anyways, let's dive into this. Let's try and do it again. Third time's a charm. I'm here with Justin Berkeley, my good hunting buddy, and yeah, we're going to have a fun show, talk about a few different things, and I think it's going to be pretty cool what we got going on. We're going to try and do some different topics of things that people have sent in and asked of for some different questions, some different topics they want to hear talked about. So normally on Bird Talk here, the focus has been kind of on one topic itself throughout the episode, but in this one, we're going to try and do multiple different questions, get a few different takes on things, and it should be kind of like a broad net of a lot of different things that pertain to wild birds, bird dogs, and upland hunting. 
So we're gonna give it a go, kind of a rapid fire Q&A session and it should be pretty fun. But before we get into that, we've been, Justin's here, he's been hanging out at my house for the last well, week. A week now, yeah. Yeah, we've been running dogs, getting playing dogs. Playing with puppies. Yeah, playing with puppies. I apologize, you might hear a puppy or two pipe up in the background. I think you probably already have. The beginning of this, there was one that gave out a pretty good shout. Yeah. So if they get going here, we'll, we'll tone it down, we'll pause it and try and get back into it. But yeah, the puppies have been fun, everybody's doing good. They were, the first couple times we recorded this, they were quiet, they were sleeping. Yeah, of course, we've been at it now for an hour, and the puppies are now awake. Yeah, nobody let a peep out, but now Mama's back in there feeding them. They're, oh, Mom's back, well, let's have a good time. Kind of like us at the bar, so. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a good time. <laughs> let's have a good time. Puppies are right on track. They know they know how to good, have a good time. They're looking for their drink. So, with that being said, things are coming up fast here, man seasons are open up here in a month and a half we're halfway through july crazy to think because i can just think back on last season already and feel like everything just happened yesterday but here we are already looking into going into this coming season for 2022 so exciting time of year it's nice to get the dogs back out on birds try and get everybody cleaned up everybody's looking looking pretty good good. yeah everybody looks good everybody looks good need a little bit more conditioning work get the dogs into some longer runs and it's been hot yeah, it's been really hot this week, actually. Sun's been out. Sun's been a killer, just beating down on you out there in the field. But, you know, I really don't mind it so much with some of these runs, especially if they're shorter runs that we're doing with the dogs. Because the dogs... Heat conditioning. Yeah, the dogs still have to be able to operate in those types of conditions. You're not going out there and just pounding your dog into the ground in 85-degree weather for an hour or two straight. You're just giving them a little bit of a taste of it. taste of it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And they, they still have to be able to operate use their head use their nose and think straight in those situations versus picture perfect scenarios all the time because as with wild birds and things that you you hunt wherever you're at things never are are ever picture perfect and the dog and the handler have to be able to react to those situations so yeah i know you're getting ready to go out to montana here pretty soon yeah yeah real soon i leave saturday i'm taking a string of 10 or so britneys with me i'm headed out to montana I'll spend the end of July getting settled in, getting dogs out, starting conditioning, those half hour, 45 minute runs, just getting everybody used to being out there. And then I'll be out there till the end of September before I come home. So August will be conditioning and handling. Uh, there's dogs that are going that are steady to release all the way to puppies. A couple of them haven't even, well, one of them hasn't seen any birds at all. So we'll get out there and do bird intro, gun intro, and work through all that with the dogs. And then September, I will start shooting over them. The traveling Britney man. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The traveling Britney man. That's what I'm going to get you a little sticker to go on the back of the kennel. All right. <laughs> so if you're looking for, for Justin, just look for the traveling Britney sticker yep. on the back of his vehicle. Yeah, you can, uh, Northern Forest Gun Dogs. That's me. I, yeah, I've got four personal Britneys. Actually, that was one of our questions was how many dogs do we have. I guess we can go over that. I have four Britneys personally. Um, you have a ton at the moment. Yeah, right now here at the house alone, there's 13 dogs sitting here. Now, yeah. granted, six of them are puppies, but yeah, it's just kind of cool having all the dogs here hanging out. It's fun to see how this string of dogs has evolved over the years from going with, you know, we started out hunting and it was just one dog a piece. Now it's grown and we've just fully immersed ourselves into the bird dog world and hunting and wild birds and 
it's fun to see all the dogs coming together like that. Yeah, one wasn't enough. They couldn't handle all the work. Like, yep. they had to get a couple more just take some miles off of them. Yep, so if you want another dog, don't let anybody else other t- tell you otherwise. No, get the dog. Get the dog. <laughs> get three of them. Get four of them. Why not? Yep, I got room for a couple more. <laughs> so, yeah, excited to do this. Really excited to get back out here hunting soon. It's going to be a good time, and... Yeah, let's go ahead and dive into a few different questions, topics that we have. So on our Uplander Instagram, we polled and asked in the story some different uh, viewer topics, discussions that people sent in. So we have things from covering uh, grouse dogs, pheasant dogs, traveling with dogs, retrieving with dogs, kind of a wide variety of things that we're going to try and cover here. And like I said, do a little rap fire Q&A, try and give a couple different perspectives on. And so, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into it. We'll get into our first question here. So number one, and this is, this is kind of a, a fun, tricky topic, I believe. Do you shoot bumped birds that aren't pointed? And how can this affect your bird dog? Given the scenario, definitely. If I have a puppy that's been on the ground running and hunting hard for the last two hours and putting in a lot of miles and we're getting back to the truck and it bumps a bird, I'm probably going to shoot that bird or at least shoot at it to try to reward that dog for hunting hard all that time. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to run, you know, a dog that hard. And if it's been out hunting and searching for a bird and you just haven't come across any, there's no reason to hold that against that dog. Give it a reason, you know reward it for that work yeah especially a young dog because you want the light bulb to go out that we're not just out here looking for birds we're out here to shoot birds and put birds in the bag now i know that maybe sounds a little you know that's that's not the whole overall goal of hunting right and especially with you know a dog you're not just out there to you know shoot stuff and you know bang guns but at the end of the day that's you you and the dog working together what is the ultimate goal and that is to get birds so you want the dog to have that connect that first thing the dog puts together a connection going out in the field or in the woods wherever you're hunting is that we're out here to get birds and you can scale up or scale back from there yeah, that's the fun part for the dog. When the gun goes off, you did your job right, and that gun's going off. Yep. If you went out and hunted like that, or if it's a dog on its first run or two, and you get out there, and it's you're just introducing that dog to the woods and these birds, if it bumps a bird, shoot that gun off. Try to shoot that bird, get some feathers in his mouth, get it excited about mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yep. Now, is that something you're doing through year late into year one, or the, late into the first season? My opinion, a dog can do no wrong in the first season. You're you're going to stop shooting those birds if it's out hunting. Year two, you're not doing that. Definitely, you know, yeah. you're you're asking for that dog to do something by the end of its first season to reward it for. You've already rewarded it for going out hunting. It's learned that. Now work with me. Yep. Yeah, and you're not necessarily putting any pressure on a dog in its first season if it's you know bumping chasing birds you might call it back a little bit but you're not screaming whoa at it because first of all the dog probably doesn't even know what whoa is if a bird gets up and takes off yeah if the dog's moving you shouldn't be giving it a command you mm -hmm. wait for it to stop and then tell it what it's doing yep yeah that's you know you're not you know yelling whoa at a dog that's running through the woods chasing a bird isn't doing it any good Uh uh-huh you know at a certain point if i say whoa 
to my dog, I have now taken control of that situation. And this is a bit an older dog that's beyond that puppy stage. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not shooting that bird if I have told my dog, whoa. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to relocate and do whatever you would like until I get there. These are wild birds we're running, these birds move. If that dog hits a bird 150 yards from me, that bird's gonna move before I get there. I'm expecting the dog's gonna also move mm-hmm. to that bird. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna put the bird up, but the scent cone's gonna leave and that dog is eventually going to be like, well, I got to find it. You're coming. Like, he hear, they hear you coming. They're going to relocate to that bird. I don't have a problem with that. The dog's allowed to move until I give that command. Once I say, whoa, I have all the control. If that dog moves, that bird's flying away. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's that's not a puppy. That's a dog that actually knows the scenario, a dog that is, whoa, broke. You know, if you can say, whoa, and stop a dog you should be able to say whoa and not have that dog move uh-huh. no matter what the circumstances are. And at that point, if I, on top of that, if I release a dog and I've kicked, or a dog's on point, I've kicked around, no bird has gotten up. If I release a dog and that dog takes two, three steps and that bird gets up, that was my mistake. That wasn't the dog's mistake. It did everything it was supposed to. I didn't kick in the right spot. I'm going to reward that dog for that work. You didn't move until I gave you the command to that bird just happened to get up within your three steps or, you know, five steps. But after that, depending on the dog, a young dog, I'm not shooting again. I'm relocating. Mm -hmm. Now, Forrest and I, on the other hand, have a little understanding to where I can release him and he will, if that bird's within gun range, he's going to put that bird up for me because he knows that. But if that bird's at 40, 50 yards, he's going to go on point again. Like we, he's an older dog. We have an understanding and I can, not that I'm letting things slip, but he will circle around a tree while I'm on the other side to put that bird up in my direction. You know, we have, we're, that becomes kind of a deadly little combo, but you're hunting with a dog. It's not a dog that you're releasing and is sprinting at a bird and the bird's getting up and you're shooting at it. It's a dog that I released and we understand what we're doing. Yeah, it's a teamwork together. It's not the dog, or the dog gets you to a certain point, you release it, and then the dog says, I'm gonna do the rest on my own and takes off after a bird. You're still working together. The dog has to not only respect the bird, it has to respect where you're at, you know, in accordance to that bird. You know, if you're working up with the dog and the dog's trailing, working something, stopping, pointing in front of you, if the dog is working just like that in front of you, yeah, absolutely. I think that's great dog work. Now, if the dog all of a sudden, like you've mentioned, just takes off in front of you and is like, I'm going to go find this thing now, and the dog runs up, bust the bird, there goes the, bird, the yeah. bird circles back around, flies over to my head, I could make a gravy shot out of it. No, I'm probably, especially with an older dog, I'm not shooting that bird because you're now at that point, you're rewarding for that bad habit that it just that it just did yeah, and that's what locate to help me mm-hmm. you took matters into your own hands and put that bird in the air and so that's there's a where the scenario and yeah, understanding that place yep out. and a situation like that that's where problems are going to ar- arrive down the road if you keep putting your dog in situations like that and shooting not putting your dog in situations like that but if that's what keeps unfolding and you keep shooting those birds that's where you're eventually that problem is going to continue to linger down the road and now your dog is eventually just going to give you the bird the middle finger and say i'm just going to go find this bird and put it in the air without you because you're going to shoot anyway so that's all you're teaching the dog to do yep so yeah there has to be an understanding whether that dog is moving and working with you trying to put that bird into a shootable force knows i can't at this point in his age, he knows I can't shoot through thick cover. Mm-hmm. If he goes on point and that bird is in something, I also can't walk into some of that stuff 
to get a bird out and get a shot. Uh-huh. I'm going to find an opening and I'm going to release the dog. Yeah. And then I have a shot and he's not going in at a dead sprint. He's poking his way through there cautiously to where he's probably going to point again. I'm going to release him again. But we're working that bird to a spot where I actually have a shot to mm-hmm. where we can be successful instead of me getting buried in the brush. Yep, it's a teamwork. Yeah, at that point, I'm, if he if I released him and he's taking a few steps, I, you know, I released him. He's doing what he was told. So to throw another spin into it, now let's say the dog doesn't have any contact with the bird and the bird just gets up. You're walking through the woods. Dog doesn't even hasn't even hit scent of the bird. Bird takes flight and you decide to shoot the bird. There's some, I let some buddies, you know, you get yeah. guys that, you know, that's the thing. There's guys that come up and travel and spend their vacation time to hunt with you. Mm-hmm. Those scenarios, like if those guys put up a bird on their own or by the, by all means, shoot it. Like mm-hmm. you're taking time away from work, your family, and you're coming out to hunt with me. Yeah. Shoot that bird. If you put it up, like I'm not taking yeah. anything away from you for doing that. If the dog had nothing to do with the scenario. Yeah. Am I shooting those birds? I'm probably letting it go and trying to take a dog that direction. Yeah. Yeah, but my like certain scenarios where I'm not gonna feel bad. Yeah. Like I, you've been walking eight miles mm-hmm. today, and if you only spend a couple weekends a year doing it, you're not typically the best shot. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance to knock down a bird in the woods and you put it up on your own, knock it down yeah. and be great. Like you came out and shot something that weekend. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and just being straight up honest about it too. Like there's been times where I've been you know walking through the woods and the dog has been out in front of me. I've kicked up a bird. And yeah, I've absolutely shot that bird, even though the dog had nothing to do with it. I still, from time to time, if you get a good look at a bird, you some it's your reaction. Yeah, it's it's your, your reaction to shoot. But I try and make it a point to get over to that bird and get it before the before dog, has the dog to do with does. It. Yes, yeah. I guess with the more dogs now, like back in the day, sure, but you know, especially I mean, I start with a Springer. Mm-hmm. That you know, I'm used to a bird busting up and not having any dog work other than a dog just trailing around and putting a bird up. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, it's nowadays it's more or less, it went this way, you know, trying to get the buddies in on it or something like that or getting a dog, the dog work. But yeah, as far as like my buddies, even my dad, my dad comes up hunting Mm -hmm. with me and he goes, bird gets up, I'm going to shoot it. And I'm like, that's fine. Like there, it's not hurting anything because you can always work with the dog later and fix things. Yep, exactly. And so I think it's, yeah, it's to boil it down, it's situation what's your definition of the good dog work that you want and what you want to shoot at and go from there. Yeah. You can always fix something. Like you don't have to hold yourself to the standard be like, I haven't shot anything all weekend. Like uh-huh. and a bird gets up, I, I would expect most hunters to shoot at that. Yep. Like, and I don't think it's anything to feel bad about, you know, your dog bumps a bird, at least it's getting into the bird. Yep. You, you shot some, put some feathers in its mouth. Like at least make a positive situation yep. instead of your dog running for hours and not getting anything out of it. But then I will say if it happens again, don't shoot the next bird that it happens like that yeah no i won't repeat no you yeah it's a you rewarded that dog for hunting i'm not if we go out the next time it's the same scenario we're not i'm not teaching you it's a habit as every time we get close to the truck if a bird gets up i'm gonna shoot it no i still want you to work well if you're if we're working a bird in that range so you're trying to keep the the goal is to keep the wheels on without letting them fall off, even though the screws might come unloosed a little bit on the training wheels. Yeah, but you, you can, can easily tighten, tighten them, them back up. Yeah, you can tighten them up. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go get into the next one. What is it like going from pheasants to grouse or vice versa with a young dog? And 
honestly, I think on this one, you could kind of take out of the equation with a young dog because, you know, from my experience of seeing no matter where the dog is at, there's absolutely different levels and different styles of hunting when going from grouse to pheasant or pheasant to grouse. You know, especially if you have a grouse dog, works very cautious in the woods, no matter what age it's at, you dump that dog into a pheasant field and the dog is going to be very cautious on a track, not realizing that the bird, it's, it's still smelling hot, fresh scent, but that bird is already boogied a long ways, especially if there's nothing, there's no cover directly in front of you that the bird's going to dump into. It's just, you know, an open grass CRP field or something like that. So a dog is going to hit that track and not realize that it needs to, it needs to go, not just totally be cautious on the situation. Yeah, I think that's the two big difference between the two birds is like grouse hunting, that bird that the habitat is it, it is in is typically smaller than a great big pheasant field. Mm-hmm. So that bird knows where its couple exit points are, where a dark shadow is to go hide, and that's what I kind of look for, you know, that, that exit. There's a lot more structure within the cover that the bird can dip into. Can hide into. It's not the same field. A pheasant gets on a deer trail, you know, and it's going to run. It's going to run across that whole field to get to the other side and try to hide from you, and by then it's turning. So when you take that dog out, at least from the grouse woods to the pheasant field, you kind you have to let him go. You can't, you know, a lot of, you have to try to build that run in that dog to go out and try to find that bird because it's used to, you know, a cautious grouse dog. It's a real nice dog. You know, it's you can move up with it slowly. It's going to relocate nice. A cautious dog is great for grouse. It's not always a great thing for pheasants mm-hmm. because that dog, that bird is going to go. It's not yeah. just going to be a grouse jump moving to the next pine tree to hide from So you. it's it's got to run to that bird and then once it finds first scent it still has to keep moving at a good right. pace to catch back up with that bird and either pin it into something or circle back out in front yeah cut it off that some dogs learn that some uh some you take them out pheasant hunt quite a bit and that dog is like all right i'm not, like i know it's running we've been trailing a long ways yeah i'm gonna get out in front of you and cut that bird off yeah and then we have a lot of success with the older dogs doing that mm-hmm. you know getting out even grouse hunting you know they don't run as much those dogs will swing out to the side and next thing you know they're pointing back at you yep. and they went out and cut that bird off and pinned it somewhere yep. yeah it is uh no matter what you're hunting it's always a beautiful sight when you see the dog turned back facing your way and you're basically licking your lips going i know that yep. bird is sitting between the two of us here at some point i'm going to walk up and it's going to get a good flush in front yeah, you hear some old-time grouse hunters that typically like their dogs at shorter range and you'll talk to them and they'll go, you know, I hate going pheasant hunt with my dog because then you come back to the grouse woods. And we talked about bumped birds. You come back to the grouse woods and now that dog's used to going on a 100, 200 yard track, you know, if not more mm-hmm. on that bird. And that grouse ran to its safety spot yeah. that it's normally not that far from. Like they normally have their exit fairly close to them. They yeah. know where it's at. They got somewhere to hide. They're going to go there first. So the track is a lot shorter. And now their dog's getting on a short track and bumping birds. Those are birds you're not shooting. You know, you came back, you can't went from doing one thing to the next, came back to this. You know, you, the dog's got to figure it out again. Yeah, you got to manage expectations. Now we're back in the grouse woods. You're not going out there. And I think dogs get a little bit ballsier when they're pheasant hunting because the dog realizes it has to go, go, go until it catches up with the bird eventually. And then it has to play a little bit nicer. 
but it's still it's it's super fresh scent that the dog is on so there's a little bit of a learning curve with that front fresh scent because it's not just old scent that it's tracking like it's with its scent that's within the moment even though that bird is still moving out in front of it so it has to use a combination of its nose in the air and on the ground the ground to stay on the track and nose in the air to figure out the distance that it is between that dog and that bird and then you take that dog once it gets a little bit ballsier running harder on pheasants you take it back into the grouse woods and again it gets it's gonna run hard yep it runs hard it smells scent on the ground and it's gonna want to go and yeah you're gonna get some birds in the air to begin with and the dog's gonna have to figure out how to scale back in that situation Some of that now. cautiousness has slipped a little bit because and you kind of need it to mm-hmm. the other place we noticed that was arizona those birds run a lot mm-hmm. and a cautious dog you know you're moving along you're poking you're poking but it's hard to catch up to yeah them. and that's you know pheasants and those quail down there had that in common actually yeah. and you can see the difference between hunting grouse here in the woods and woodcock and there's not a, they don't have to run as far to find something to hide in and the cover's thicker so they're mm-hmm. running isn't always as easy so they're still moving on you but it's not it's not nearly as much as pheasants and that's one thing those dogs you're going to come back to the grouse was you know after being out in the prairie or even you know down in arizona when we were in the desert or out in the pheasant field you're come back to the woods and that dog's going to have probably bump a bird or two because those grouse are very cautious you know you're not doing the same kind of work it's going to sit there and get out of the way it knows it can fly up in a tree it's safe it's going to get off the ground and go yep and so just to to skip back a little bit off topic here you mentioned the prairie running dogs out there on those types of birds and bringing them back to the grouse woods and i just want to be clear on the type of bird you know if you're talking specifically running a dog on pheasants where that dog is learning how to run that's a whole different thing still even even though you're going out onto the prairie for a bird like let's say you're hunting sharp tails those birds aren't running like pheasants they sit tighter so if you're talking it's all if you're talking running the prairie it has to be about the bird that you're running right my thing i like about that is pheasant cover is typically thicker cover you still the dog has a hard time seeing i mean we're running britneys they're shorter the ground mm-hmm. um the dog has a hard time seeing you in the woods and pheasant cover in those fields you have a hard time seeing the dog you can't see the mistakes that are made out in the prairie you can really teach a dog to handle like when you're running sharp tails like that, you know, I like using a couple tones on my collar just to turn my dog. I can turn my dog at a few hundred yards and just now my body is angled the other way and I'm walking the other way and that dog has learned, all right, I'm going to turn and go with you that direction. You don't have to come back to me, mm-hmm. but we're moving. And now all of a sudden that dog learns that in the prairie where it can see me. I got a dog in the grouse woods at 100, 150 yards. I hit that tone. That dog's going to figure out which direction I'm heading, not yeah. necessarily come back to me, yeah. but once it f- figures out which direction I'm heading, it's going to start working that way. And that's that's transitioning over from one to the other actually helps a lot. It's same thing with the pheasant field. Like if you, I like working from the prairie on because they're getting in those wild birds and those sharp tails. We took those young dogs out there last year and the number of birds they got on and just the way they handled when mm-hmm. we got home to the grouse woods was unreal. Like yeah. they had a lot of... They were just used to being out there. Now they couldn't see us, but they're still used to moving with us. Yeah, they know that you're still in the equation somewhere. Even if the dog cannot necessarily see you in the woods, if it takes off, you know, now the dog's out there pushing 75, 100, 150 yards from you in the grouse woods. It knows that you're still in the equation somewhere, and it still has to 
the dog still has to mind you because you're in the equation with it still. It's not just the dog, even though it can't see you, that the dog has free reign on its own now to do what it wants. It knows since it's just spent, you know, a month being handled on the prairie that it has to still mind you. Yeah. Yep. And that's one thing with going to the woods, that dog can't see you beyond 40 yards. Mm-hmm. It's hard to just work some of that stuff into them in that environment. You spend some time heckling your dog. You don't necessarily have confidence in your dog and what it's doing. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, they like a shorter range dog in the grouse woods because they don't know what's going on that far yeah. away. And that's one nice thing about the shorter cover out there is you can see the mistakes that are happening and work on them, work with that handling. You build a nice dog early in the year out there, you come home to the grouse woods, and now it's got to be a little bit more cautious. Uh-huh. But it will pick that up just fine. Yeah. And it's going to work with you through the woods, which is really nice. It leads in, I don't, back to the original question, I think it helps build a dog to go do as many things as you can with it. Yeah. Rather than just be like, well, I got a grouse dog, I don't want to screw this up by going to hunt pheasants. Yeah. Your next weekend in the grouse woods may not be your favorite weekend in the grouse mm-hmm. woods, but your dog's going to learn a lot in those two weekends. Yep. And as long as you're aware of the situation and what's going on, you can, you know, help out your dog in handling it with those bumped birds. If it, you know, screws up a time or two, if it's running a little hard, you know, don't, don't shoot that bird. Even if yeah. you wanted to, you know, if a that bird, bird gets too. up, takes off, pick your dog up, set it back down right in front of where that, that bird just got up. Yeah. Do a little, you know, work with it, you know, get it to stick back into your, its head that it, it blew it and it, it put too much pressure on the bird and make it realize that you're back in this environment, in this situation where birds are not necessarily running as hard. They might move still, but the bird They're is going to be. Instead of running, running and running and running to get away from you, grouse is more shifty. Yep. It's going to shift from this spot to that spot. And that's where some of them dogs coming back from running pheasants will make mistakes. And it's typically a younger dog that just, you know, once it gets the experience yep. of this is what this does, this is what that does, it takes a bird or two to straighten them all out again yep. and you're just fine. Absolutely. And I'm not, and I wouldn't be afraid, my, me personally, I know you hear a lot of people, especially old-time grouse hunters, don't take your grouse dog pheasant hunting because it will completely ruin it. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily the complete case as long as you're a good handler with the dog you can put your dog into different situations, and if your dog is worth a damn, it's going to figure it out. It's typically, though, guys with, like, gun range dogs as well. And say, so keep that dog mm-hmm. within gun range or just outside of it. Yep. You know, they're the ones who, when they take their dog to the pheasant field, go, oh, don't, no, it's ruined. Yep. I like my dog out in the woods trying to find something. I don't want to take my dog through the thicket and walk it to the bird. Uh-huh. I want it. It's saving me miles if that dog finds one at 150 yards, stands there for five minutes while I get there. At least I'm just walking from bird to bird instead of yep. walking around with my dog. Yep. Well, what else we got on there? So next we got, let me pull up my handy-dandy notebook here. Any tips or tricks on traveling for hunting with dogs and what you typically bring? Mm, that's a good one. You could, uh, yeah, you could talk for a long time about things to prep a dog for a hunt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's... There's a lot that goes into not just hunting with a dog, but getting it from A to B, especially if you're not just, you know, I think I would, I would assume this question is more geared towards the person that's going out. Let's say they live in the the Eastern side of the U S and they want to go out to the Dakotas, go out West somewhere, Montana. I mean, even if you were coming up to Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Somewhere hitting grouse in Wisconsin, you should all go to Wisconsin. Somewhere, somewhere out or Minnesota, go yeah, there Minnesota's too. Minnesota's got a bunch. Of I heard Maine's too. good. 
or not just your typical something that's not just your typical weekend trip where you're going up if you have a cabin somewhere a buddy's place that you go hunting at you know how are you preparing a dog to go on 10 12 14 shit some of the trips we've done 24 26 hours yeah that's i mean and we're driving through like we don't typically stop for a long period of time like we're gonna stop get the dogs out let them go to the bathroom when we're getting on the road you know you're gonna give them a little run but we're trying to get somewhere and so it's not places you're stopping aren't always the safest place make sure you got leashes around Mm -hmm. that's something that you know you you're getting your dog out you'd be ready to get your dog out of the boxes have that stuff around ready to go i personally float my dog's food all year because when i'm on the road i need him taking in food and water and at this point i spend so much time hunting they're getting most of their food floated for six seven months of the year anyway I might as well float their food the rest of the year. So that's something I just stopped changing. That's something you transition into. Yeah, and just to spend just a couple more seconds on that topic with floating food, the reason you're you're trying to get your dog adjusted to if you are going to float your food on a hunting trip, so which means you're putting water in the food when you feed it, if you're going to float your food, you ha- your dog has to, its digestive system has to be prepared for that, not just going out on a trip and you decide to give it water and now all of a sudden your dog's eating with water in the food and it has the runs because of it. It has an upset stomach maybe. Its digestive system isn't used to that much water coming in with the food. At one time, the food breaks down a lot faster. and it makes so, digestion a little bit easier yep. in my mind. That's kind of why I do it and hot dogs you know i don't need them sitting there on a dry bowl of kibble you know here's mm-hmm. some here's some water in there with it yep yep so if if you're going to float your food which i do recommend you do get your dog used to having food floated before your trip or you're on the road yep yep kennels stakeouts are another big one get that dog used to i mean we have multiple dogs a lot of time mm-hmm. we're going on a trip we're only running one dog personally at a time yep. you know most of the time and you know, if not two, but there's still other dogs waiting in the truck. Mm-hmm. Get them used to watching you walk away with that other dog in a kennel. Yeah. Um, get them used to sitting on a stakeout and eating on one, going to the bathroom on one. There, I've seen a lot of dogs that I don't want to go to the bathroom. My little zone I have yeah. here. Get them used to doing those types of things, and then it becomes less of an issue and less stress later. And the reason we choose to put dogs on a stakeout is because outside of them being in the kennel. You know, it's the safest spot for them to be in a different environment, a place that you're not necessarily familiar with. Right, I don't need them walking around, sniffing different places, like getting into things in an area where I'm pulling up trying to set up camp or trying to yep. deal with the truck or make, make lunch. Put those dogs out on the stakes. You know, they're out of the kennels. They're stretching out a little bit, and you have multiple dogs you can not keep an eye on, but mm-hmm. you can keep an eye on them fairly simple. They got a small, you know, two to three foot circle that they're working in and that's where they're at they're staying on the stake or the cable the cable i did get a cable game couple month a couple months ago i've been using it quite a bit i like it a lot and i'm taking two of them i got two four dog systems i'm taking out to montana and i'm going to be taking the dogs out of the truck and doing all my feedings getting everybody out you know and putting them on them cables and they, I like adjusting them to that before I get out there. It's less stressful. All of a sudden, they're going on this, and they just lay down. They go, this is my spot. This is where I need to be. And the dog can actually relax, get some extra sleep, recover a little bit, instead of stressing out about, I'm not used to this, and going in circles. You see a lot of dogs pacing circles that aren't comfortable, and, or they're whining, and then they're using energy. They could be using in the field, 
because they're stressed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, going back to, you know, putting dogs on a stakeout, and, like, last year, we were up, we went up for a wheat grouse hunting here in northern Michigan, and, you know, we were sitting around the campfire at night before our hunt got started the day before after we got camp set up, and... We had the, all the dogs staked out, and I know in a lot of situations like this, you know, you're having a, you're hanging out in northern Michigan, you're with your buddies, you're with your, you know, your bird dog, and, you know, you're hanging out at fire, you want to have your dog in your lap or hanging out next to you, but we had our dogs chained up and on a tie-out system next to us for a specific reason to keep them safe, because we had an instance where all of a sudden a pack of coyotes yeah. starts barking right next to camp right next to camp all of a sudden our dogs are chirping back because those those coyotes you know, they started up because we were the new kids on the block yeah, we they, had a pack of dogs sitting there they there knew seven dogs staked they out. knew the dogs were there they were trying to see what was up with our dogs and then before we knew it they sent a decoy circled back around us and came into the field we were actually parked on and started barking at us yeah. and what that coyote wanted was one of our dogs to come over to it trying to lure somebody away trying to lure somebody in and if i just had my dog hanging out next to me laying next to me at the campfire there's a pretty damn good chance my dog would have hauled off off over there because they were already worked up and wanted to see what that was but you know like i said we had the dogs all tied out that evening and nobody was at risk of just taking off and doing anything stupid right i was doing some stuff around my truck just a couple weeks ago and I had all the dogs on the cables, and I was out doing my thing, just moving gear around. And there's a bear that popped up behind my truck, and it's headed towards the dogs. And it's probably only 30 yards from me and 30 yards from the dogs. And I went to chase this bear off, and Lady wanted a piece of it. If I would have had the dogs out wandering around while I wasn't... I didn't have my full attention on them. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get something done. It's a spot to put your dog and try to keep it out of harm's way, out of trouble, while you're doing something at camp. It's yeah. not like you got a fenced-in yard, at least they're out of the kennels. You know, it's somewhere for them safe to be. And, I mean, I had to chase that bear out of camp and actually had to shoot a round off to get it to go away. Uh-huh. And that, those, you know, the cables kept all the dogs there. And I had, sure, I could have had dogs out running around just doing whatever, but I was trying to do something at the mm-hmm. time. I was unpacking the truck. I, you don't have my full attention. I'm not going to have you out wandering around. I'm mm-hmm. not, that's not my thing. You know, you invest a lot of time into these dogs. The last thing you want is an injury when it could have been avoided. Yeah. So I think then there's the other aspect of being on a trip with a dog and how you're gonna how you're gonna run that dog as well, especially if you're going out with another buddy or there's a group of you, there's a couple dogs in the mix. You have to be able to look at the duration of how long your hunt is, how many dogs you have, and how you're gonna maximize your time with the dog power that you have. You know, I know everybody loves seeing their dogs on birds, running your dog. But it's not realistic in these types of trips where you're looking at at least a you know a five day trip to go out and run your dog every, every single day. day. It wears them down really fast, and you have to be able to space it out. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, so you have to get that dog like accustomed to waiting. When we went down to Arizona, we were running one dog at a time, and we would leave the other ones in the kennel unless mm-hmm. we went out and hunted murns. We wanted to cover a little bit more territory. We'd run two, but those dogs are taking. A day and a half off before we're running them again so you're getting the dog out on lunch and you're running it you know for a half hour that dog that ran the day before you're taking lunch you're getting the dogs out you're running them around but that dog needs to be used to spending some time in that kennel because you're not ran all the time of course you're out at night at camp you're staked out 
But, yeah, I mean, they're pretty tired, which is the other thing about yeah. it. You know, after a few days of running, the dog doesn't mind hanging out in the kennel on a stake. They're normally just laying down and sleeping. But it's something your dog needs to be accustomed to, and that's those are things you can do at home. Take your dogs out, work with one while it's in a kennel. You know, the ones in the kennel, work with the other one. Mm-hmm. And, shoot, do, you know, leave it in there. Walk away. Take the other dog in the house. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, scenarios where they're in the back of the trucks and the kennels and get them used to that. I There's times, you know, I take transferring the dogs over into the full time in the truck like all mine sleep in the kennels in the truck and your dogs if they sleep in your house they if they're used to sleeping certain like in the kennel in the house it doesn't hurt to throw that kennel in the back of your truck and have them spend a couple nights in there in the driveway yeah it just gets them used to being well i'm sleeping outside in the truck and instead of having a whiny dog that's stressed out you're controlling some of that and taking some of that scenario on the road yep the dog is now a little bit more mentally prepared to be in that situation of going on the road versus just what your home your home life is it's home life versus field life the two are very different in a lot of different aspects and a lot of different variables and you have to look at the situation and say how can i get my dog ready to go on the road because our life at home is so much different than the week that we're going to be out spending and I want to get the most out of my dog and I want it to be on top of its game at all time. Yeah, that's any variable you can take out of it at home is just easier on the dog on the road. That's uh, the dogs I'm taking with me to Montana. I had everyone transfer their food over from what they're feeding at home transferred over to the food I'm feeding that way I can take one kind of food everybody's on it any stomach issues anything like that happen at home they there it's more comfortable environment than having me feed them a new food on the road or trying to transfer them over it's just better for the dog to have it done in a comfortable environment and then come into my hands and I bring the dog back and you got a little bit of food left over transfer it back or continue with the same food it's completely up to you but that's something I it's easier on the dog to have done before it comes to me. Yep. All right, what else we got? All right, moving along, we've got best way to start a puppy on retrieving when it doesn't seem to come naturally. Mm. I uh, start it the right way. I guess that, you know, yeah. if, I, uh, that's tough. That'd be, if there's ways to fix it, but I really like just starting them young and that being something that just seems to roll right into it. I don't like, I don't, I haven't had to do like any formal force fetching and I mean, my dogs are pretty reliable at bringing it mm-hmm. back to your hand. It's something I like to start at a young age is this is one of our games, but, uh, so I think you have to look at the situation and maybe necessary and what the person is dealing with. And we don't know the full context of what somebody is doing with their dog. And, you know, are they just, out in the yard and throwing a bumper and the dog really doesn't have much interest interest in it you know at at that point get a bird out you know get a bird out of the freezer yeah a lot of people would say not to do this but i recently had a guy that got a hold of me and was like hey i got i have a setter it's going up to the bird and standing over him and i was like well pull a bird out save a bird from a hunt Mm -hmm. put it in the freezer when one day at home get that bird out and throw it in your backyard play a little tug of war with that dog yeah and I mean a little, I'm not saying all of a sudden have this dog that wants to bring birds back to you and start ripping them apart, but make it fun. Yeah, you know, make a game out of it. Uh, my, I've been spending the summer at the lake with the dogs and everyone's doing water retrieves. And every now and then, you know, I'm dragging a bumper around, hyping that dog up uh-huh. to keep it fun. And yeah. it's not a, you can fix things later. If you can't build it to begin with, it's really hard to fix. But I think 
totally agree with you. And I think a lot of a lot that goes into it is, you know, that it has to be a game with what you're doing with the dog. You can't just go out, throw something in the yard and expect your dog to come back to you without the dog having the understanding or the concept that it's a game that you play and the game gets to continue by bringing it back to you. So you have to do some foundation worth work with getting the dog to understand that this is a fun game that we play together where you go get something you get to run and the only way it gets to continue is if you come back to me and do this so like I'll start with all our dogs I'll put them in a really small room as a puppy and I'll get down a hallway a small enclosed room where the dog can only make it back to you and you know you get the dog excited with a toy you know you make it chase it around on the floor or something next to you get the dog excited amped up and then take that and then throw it you know it doesn't have to be you know even 10 feet from you you're not it's you're not doing distance at this point just give it a little you know little toss just a couple feet away from you let the dog go get it it's gonna it might mouth it it might you know try and shake it a little bit and then just gently coax it say come here here whatever your dog's name is and try and get it to you know come back to you it comes back i like i like sitting on the ground being eye level with the pup the dog comes back to me plops right on my lap and i'll just kind of you know love it up a love bunch. it up yeah. a lot kind of shake the toy with it in a little tug of war yeah you're pulling a little but the, you're not taking it from the dog yep and now the dog starts to realize that this is a fun game that we, we i come play back together. and we roll around we wrestle a little bit and all of a sudden yes. yeah you're building that well, i want to come back and play with you with this yeah. thing you know i'm gonna go get it and come back i could dive down a wormhole and how i like to start my pups with the retrieving mm-hmm. i all this i normally do treat training until the dog understands the command now that you understand the command your reward is no longer treat i'm going to throw a bumper i'm going to throw a ball i'm going to get you to whoa i'm going to you know whoa before we go outside you go outside and go potty i'm not giving you a treat mm-hmm. i'm going to throw something for you when you're done going to the bathroom yeah all of a sudden the retrieve is a reward they want to do that because now they're coming back and they're like oh yeah i went to the bathroom like i'm gonna r- wrestle around with you like mm-hmm. thanks for throwing this and it's yeah i could go a long ways with how uh-huh. that how i like doing that with my pops yeah but it just all comes back to it has to be a game, a game. and there's yeah. only one way the game gets to be played and i think Another thing that can throw a lot of young dogs off on the retrieve, especially, you know, if you've got dogs in your house and, you know, a lot of people think it's fun to give their dog a lot of toys. toys. You give your dog access to toys all the time. The dog is used to, has a little toy bin. It's cute. It's fun. It's adorable. The dog loves running into the toy bin, picking stuff out, shaking it, running around with the house. It always has an option to put something in its mouth. It always has the option. And it's great to see a dog picking something up, but the dog has realized at this point it doesn't need you. Yeah, it doesn't have to please you to get something. Yes. So now, when you if the dog has a lot of that available to it, now you're like, hey, let's go have some fun in the yard, and I want to throw this for you, and I want you to bring it back. The dog looks at the situation and goes, I can go I don't, in the house and pick something up yeah, if I want to. Yeah. I don't need you in this situation. The dog has to realize that it needs you. And this goes back even further into a lot of things. You can even talk about bird work. The dog has to realize it needs you. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say I'm rewarding my dogs with retrieves, I'm doing a small session with a puppy. You know, a couple commands. Oh, oh, whoa, throw this thing. I'm throwing it. 
three, four times. And if they want it, and I'm working to that. Mm-hmm. It's one. All right, you brought it back. I'm going to put this away. Yeah. Here's two. You're still coming back. I'm going to put this away. You want it real bad. I'm going to put it away. Here's three. You know, you work up to that. Normally, if I reward a dog for something, it's getting about three tosses. If I'm playing with a dog, mm-hmm. uh, I use my string of dogs to kind of help. That's also, I've noticed that work in my favor. If you have other dogs, especially older dogs that are really good at retrieving, mm-hmm. I'll put the dogs on the cable or the stake, and I play with that older dog, and it's picture perfect. Goes goes on release, comes back to my side. Them younger dogs are sitting back there going, I want to do that, I want to do that, and they're seeing it play out in their eyes. And typically, a dog, like, they want to play with the other dogs, yeah. right? So I'm retrieving away from my dogs. That puppy, that young dog or dog that doesn't want to come back to you or pick something up, wants to pick that up, wants to come back and be around those other dogs, parade with it, look uh-huh. what I got, you know. You're encouraging, not just you, you know I have a team back here that's encouraging that dog to come back. And that's played a big role in some of my younger dogs. It's really nice. And so just to go back to a point that you had mentioned, you know, your your one, two, three, you know, retrieves at a time, just to sum it up a little bit more, you don't want to give the dog the opportunity to be tired of the situation and not want it to do it anymore. Right. I always, like... You could go in your backyard and use retrieving as a way to wear your dog out, get some of the yayas out of them, get them out, in the, you know, get them out of your house, and be like, "Oh yeah, we went in the backyard and retrieved for an hour." That's not any fun. I, I mean, some dogs really enjoy that and will do that, but if you have a dog that you, you know, the person who asked the question, they have a dog that's not interested in retrieving. Don't you can't force if a dog really doesn't want to retrieve and you want it to look nice, unless you're putting it on a table and going through a force fetch, which I'm. I, I don't find we're not, it necessary. We're not to that point that okay. Yet, yeah, we're just so, talking about getting the dog to naturally retrieve, have fun with it. We're not even we're not even to the point where we're trying to put pressure on a dog. Yeah, to bring there something isn't. Back to yeah, us. you have to make it fun, and that's even the tone of your voice. Are you saying bring it or bring it? Like you're not realizing the pressure you're putting on them just with the way you talk to them. Like if if it's a yeah pop 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 pop, and you're throwing stuff around, that dog's getting a lot out of that. Rather you go. Fetch, you know, what are you doing? Fetch, like it's you're putting pressure on the dog. I think some people don't realize, and then you're not making it fun. Mm-hmm. So, a dog that doesn't have the drive to do it, you have to have a lot of focus on the fun side because you can't fix something that isn't happening. If you want to clean your retrieve up, at least have a retrieve to start mm-hmm. with, even if it's a shitty retrieve, at least have something to start with. Yeah. You know, walk away from that dog if it stops 10 feet from you. And it's got a bird or a bumper and it's not wanting to come back, turn around and walk the other way. Yeah. I'm not interested in you if you don't want to come to me. And that dog's going to be like, wait a minute. And it's either going to come to you without the object, but at least it came to you. Mm-hmm. Make it whoa, make it stop, whatever you, know, whatever you want to do with it. Go pick the object up again. Throw it and try to get a clean one. If you get two fails, you might as well stop. Because now you're building a bad habit. Mm-hmm. You're building on a bad habit if you continuously just try to get a dog to do something that isn't working. Put a check cord on that dog and reel it in if you have to. But at least it's building good habits then. It's being forced to come back to you yeah. instead of being like, well, every time I drop it 15 feet, you come and pick it up. Mm-hmm. So that just that's what's asked of me. Yeah. But I think just to give it one more spin there, like it's just the, the dog has to, at that point, already be comfortable with picking things up, even if it's parading running around like that's what you're trying to get to start with a lot there. of people make the mistake in the house you got a puppy it wants to pick up shoes it wants to pick up towels mm-hmm. it wants to pick up 
the cornhole bags yes. from outside. Justin has seen this here quite a bit yeah, with my they, dogs. They want to pick things up and carry them around. You're never going, hey, no, yeah. don't do that. It's always a good thank you. Like, I, thanks. It's yeah. kind of, yeah, I got it. You got to put shoes back. You got to find things, dish towels, whatever it might be. But don't scold that dog as a puppy for mm-hmm. picking something. Even if it's shoes, do a better job as the owner to get the shoes out of the way. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Put the shoes away so you're, you're not having to correct your dog for picking something up and parading around the house with it. Yeah. You don't want it chewing on shoes, so you don't want to be like, oh, that's you know, good dog. But mm-hmm. say good dog, it brought something to you. Yeah. Whether it's a shoe or not, yep. don't scold that dog for things like that when it's young. I think a lot of people make that mistake. Yep, yep. I've got, yeah, Aspen. She's the perfect reference here right now. <laughs> she she's anything. She's going on two years old right now, and she's still, if she finds a shoe in the house, she finds a dish towel or something like that. Cornhole bags. Cornhole bags out in the yard. She's going to pick it up. And that's because I never discouraged that as a bad habit. Saying, no, don't take that dog. Even if, yeah, it's a little bit annoying in the start if the dog is picking up shoes or something. But Put them somewhere they can't get to. Exactly. Put them somewhere they can't get to. But whenever my dog picked something up, I always encouraged it, no matter what it was. I always encouraged it. That's a real good start. Called the dog to me, petted it loved on it and now i've got a dog that cannot pass by anything without with it laying unattended yep it's gonna pick it up and bring it to you yep yep absolutely so yeah good stuff there i think and yeah cool yeah it's really good next one yep all right next up we have cover that holds woodcock over grouse add water yeah moisture water soft soft ground yeah if you're talking specifically, I would guess you maybe it's you're you're obviously looking at aspen cuts, right? Typically, your grouse cover is quite substantially. I'm sorry, did I say grouse cover versus woodcock cover? Uh-huh. I don't know. I honestly Let's don't know what that heck I just, Yeah, we'll start over here. So, your aspen cuts that hold more woodcock over grouse are typically younger cuts substantially younger yeah so like cuts that are at five years old starting at least to being that young you know up to they're gonna have woodcock in there it's that it's that stem density i mean we've moved woodcock and with young dogs got walking through stuff that's barely taller than our heads but it's so it's so thick in there and even when the leaves drop it's so tangly it's kind of like the spring cover with woodcock is so much different than the fall cover Mm -hmm. But really, you're just looking for that same little thick stem density in it, and it's you're looking for a bunch of pencils sticking out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to hold woodcock in it instead of you know a beer can, a yeah. beer can size stuff. You know, you're looking for more grouse in there, or you know, about that size. Yeah. But yeah, if you add a little bit of moisture nearby, a creek, a river, not that grouse don't also relate to those things. But if you gave one aspen cut to another, and we're like, well, this one has a creek, you're probably going to find more woodcock in the one with the creek yeah darker soil not sandy yeah light soil it's got to be able to hold what the birds are feeding on which is worms, worms right and you're not finding that type of you know food in sandier sand. light soil so it's got to be darker heavier soil which is usually associated with something that's lower ground lower area and it's it's got more moisture to it than your typical higher ground stuff young pines yeah Real young pines. It's I typically find more grouse in a little bit older stands of pines, and I, or at least with older pines around, because I think they, it's the fact that they can get up 
in roost. Mm-hmm. But the young pines, I'm talking waist tall to you know six footers, even eight footers. Them real tall, dense pines tend to hold a lot of woodcock in them. Yeah, it's all about stem density. Um, I had one thing on it. What was I going to say? Oh, maple thickets. I wasn't going to say anything. It's a little hidden secret of mine. All right. No, that's oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Maple leaves hit the ground, and they do something to the soil that causes it to have a lot of worms. It takes it longer. The leaf breaks down a lot slower than an aspen, an leaf. aspen leaf, and it creates better bedding for worms. Yes. If you're someone going out looking for woodcock specifically, and the stem density is still fairly close to what you're looking for with the grouse anyway, so you may come through a couple. But I have a couple maple thickets that you go walking through there, there's, and it, they're grassy maple thickets. So they're, they're probably 14 foot tall trees. I don't know what age those couple cuts are I really like. But the, the trees are you know a couple di- inches in diameter, and it's all maples, and yeah. they little bit of grass and pines mixed into that mm-hmm. and you can have a woodcock honey hole mm-hmm. you know it's the fact that the the soil just holds so much more food for them yeah 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 that's a that's kind of a deadly scenario because it's good for a young dog you know you can take a young dog in and get a lot of contacts in an area like that you know you're pushing 30 40 woodcock in a spot yeah. you can take a young dog and get a lot of contacts and yeah. then you know, it's somewhere you can kind of keep in your back pocket for those mm-hmm. times where if you need to fix a dog, if you're having issues, you can take a dog and work some woodcock and know that you're going to get into a ton of them in those maple thickets. Yeah. Like they're, they're nice. They, uh, it's, it's typically easier walking mm-hmm. They're You know, the leaves are, the tops of the trees are starting leaves just about the height of your shoulder. And so you got all the tops above you and if a little grass mixed in there and it can be, it can be pretty deadly, yep. but it, you're not finding nearly as many grouse and that kind of stuff. Yep. And again, even it kind of relates to what you say about grouse too. If it's thick, if it's gnarly, there's a good chance there's going to be some type of bird in there, if whether it's a woodcock or a grouse. I mean, I know right, yeah. the way we kind of hunt, we specifically, unless you got a young dog, you're looking to get multiple birdcock contacts in a row. We're going into grouse spots, and we're eventually going to pick up a few woodcock along right. the way. Right, I almost try to avoid heavy woodcock populated areas at this mm-hmm. point just because i know i'm gonna find a few yeah i would rather have the grouse contacts because it's a harder bird to work yeah but it doesn't mean early september if that's when i'm hunting or early october and i got a young dog i need to get some work on mm-hmm. that doesn't mean i'm not pulling up to a spot and going to be loaded with woodcock and uh-huh. not put that young dog down yeah i have no reason to put a nice steady broke dog down in that anymore yeah i don't even like last year unless it was picture perfect mm-hmm. all the woodcock that forest pointed i just kind of watched uh-huh. i think I, sh- I, I didn't shoot that many last mm-hmm. year because i was looking for that picture perfect and i was trying to stay away from them to put yeah. lady into mainly grouse contacts yep. yep but still if you're looking for really good if you're in good grouse habitat you're still going to be able to pick away at a couple woodcock here and there throughout right. the you day you can hunt grouse all day and shoot your woodcock yep day. you're not going to get into a string where you know you're going into a spot and you're going to find a pile of birds obviously there's a, you know a chance you're going to hit that hit it on the right day and you know find a, a flight a of flight a few, of woodcock in some real nice grouse habitat yep. and have a mixed up day yeah yep but for the most part if you're going into these grouse you know a little bit older s- spots there's still going to be some woodcock there picking up to pick up along the way 
Yeah, yeah. I don't really focus on them anymore. Um, with a young dog, I might take them out mm-hmm. for a day or a morning run and be like, "Let's go get in some birds." But after that, I'm kind of done with it. Yep, yep. The the cover is definitely vary by the age and density. Uh huh. And if you ever go to run, try finding woodcock in the spring. If that's a question that you had, or like, I want to find how do I decipher the two? Mm-hmm. Go out in the spring and see it. You know, March when they start getting back, early April and see where they're at mm-hmm. and you it will make you look at the birds differently mm-hmm. in the fall yep well and then also you know to throw another wrench into this of, of looking at cover and trying to find where you're going to go target woodcock in is you know it's it's a migration and the birds have specific things that they follow along the migration yeah so if you're looking for you know corridors they might follow travel paths things like that you know how that how the bird is navigating the land to make its travel south you know think of the flyway zone and if you can relate uh, how rivers you know transport and move through things you know how is that bird picking up a point of where it's going to be its destination and how it's going to follow a road basically like an i-75 for a woodcock migration and rivers play a pretty good big part into their travel yeah i probably learned more about the woodcock anyway in the spring and i'm going to relate this to it early march we typically have a full moon Mm -hmm. and it seems like every march we have a good south wind on a warm front earlier in the year and i can pretty much pick on a calendar all right here's the full moon any warm stretch here if we get a south it typically warmth comes with a south wind you can look at the weather for two weeks and go, all right, they'll be back about here. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing moving south. All right, here comes a cold front. That that wind's going to be coming out of the north. Then birds are going to bounce. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I, we've watched them leave Michigan in a week. Yeah. And just all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's one of the things where if you can pick up on that, they're moving, they fly at night. That They like that full moon because it glistens off that water. Mm-hmm. They like a clear night. And it glistens off the water, and they got a highway to follow. Yep, exactly. All right, covered a lot there with woodcock. Let's go ahead and get into the next thing. All right, so I believe this is our final question that we're going to get into here. And that is, all right, well, we did get some bullshit from question from some guy that said, why aren't you hunting? I would if I could. Yeah, I'd be out there hunting if I could. could. (laughs) But currently, no seasons are open. Um, we've been out running dogs on training yeah, birds, yeah, but some training we're not hunting. So anyways, final question of the evening. Strategies for approaching a rough grouse cover. This is a good one to end on because there's a lot that goes into how are you picking your spot. How am I picking my weekend? Yep. How am I, the area I'm going into, you know, once I've hit one spot, where's my next spot that I'm going to after that? You know, I'm not I'm not going to go into a spot where I then have to spend another, you know, hour traveling to the next good spot. I'm looking for a string of spots that I can make in a loop. And yeah. that's even before getting into the one specific first spot that I'm going to hit. But that tells you instantly if you find an area that has a lot of aspen cuts, then birds during the shuffle have places to move. Mm-hmm. It's not like you found one cut and you're like, "Hey, I want to go check this spot out whether it be scrub oak aspen pine you know and you're like i want to check this spot out you need to find grouse cover that's within a manageable area for those birds to shift and shuffle to 
Because if they're all in one spot, you ain't the first guy to stop there. Yeah. And if there's no other birds to repopulate, if they're not shuffling around, like you're, and then you have nowhere to go, you go do your little morning hunt, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, now my day's shot. I gotta mm-hmm. find, you know, my next spot's an hour away. Uh huh. I like finding clusters of areas where I know I can go through. Like you were saying, you know, you can hunt here for an hour, all right, 20 minute, my 20 minute walk. Mm-hmm. If this was a bust, all right, let's move over here. Then I have spots I can bounce to rather than just walking into a cover. And that instantly tells me there should be birds yeah. in the area knowing that there's multiple covers around. Yeah, there really has to be, there's three parts of it. You have to have one really young cover in the area that eventually the birds are going to be able to move into. There has to be prime age cover that the birds are living in at the time. And then there also has to be old cover that the birds migrated from or once lived in. So the population, it's a cycle. The population can, can, can continue in that area. There are some places that I've hunted in the past and there's a string of prime age cuts together, but I've gone into some of those spots and it's just been straight up crappy hunting. It looks prime on the map. The aspen is the right age, but that's literally all there is, is just those single aspen aged cuts. There There are no birds there to seed that area. Exactly. There wasn't anything there from, you know, before. And I do get a little bit frustrated sometimes at looking, and I'm no forester, how things are done or, but you know, sometimes I guess I'm kind of going into a tangent rant here, but looking at how some of these places they cut and it's just, it doesn't make sense to me as to why they cut here in one spot and then they never came back and cut again you know if a, if a true rough grouse person was looking at it i would think you'd be looking at it from we're going to cut here 10 years later we're coming back and we're going to cut a half something mile. Next to we're it. cutting yeah. something next to it and then in 10 years we're coming back and cutting cut again on the other side of that and then we're going back to where we started you yes know, so you're running that constant shuffle yep. of birds to new habitat if there's good habitat there but there was no good cover around it ever yeah, you might have a couple birds in there, but mm-hmm. it's not anything that like seeded that yeah. area to where you had a lot of them. And then eventually, if you have a spot that's like that with just single prime age aspen cuts and there's nothing else around in that area, a few more years, that all those birds are going to be gone out of there. You know, yeah. those that those cuts are going to age out, and the there's birds are going to go. There's nowhere for them to go. They're just going. to, Yeah, I mean, there's still going to be a bird or two in the right, area. Right, but it's not. You're not going out and have a stellar walk. You're yes. going to go in there, find your bird or two, and that's going to be your walk. And then you need somewhere to go. Yep. Typically, if you have somewhere to go nearby, you're going to have a good walk, mm-hmm. and then you move somewhere and have a good walk because there's areas for these birds to shuffle to with varying habitat in between. Mm-hmm. That's another big part of it. If you got a if it's a bunch of planted red pines, yeah, then birds will get up and roost in them things, but there's absolutely nothing around it. There's no, you know, there's, that does you no good. Like, they need to have some of that scrub oak. They need some pines. My One of my favorite aspen cut, one of my favorite spots to walk into is a, uh, that, what year was that cut? I think 2008. It's mixed in with pines. It's along a marsh. There's a bunch of berries and shrubs down along mm-hmm. the bottom of it. It's got real steep sides going down to that marsh so that sun hits and gives it all kinds of variety of vegetation along it. And I know them birds have everything they need in that area. Yep. It's, it's, if you, some maps that you look at, you know, they give you different colors of things, different food sources. I'm looking for an area that's very diverse. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for just an aspen cut. I want some pines in there. I, you know, I wanted to have some oaks. Mature oaks we did great on last mm-hmm. year. 
if there was a couple mature oaks in the evenings or even the mornings when the birds were going to feed and the acorns were dropping, we didn't even go into the cuts. Uh-huh. We were just working the mature oaks, and every time a dog worked around one of them trees, there was a bird that didn't matter what kind of cover we were in. Yep. Yep. So, like, I look for spots that are going to be year-round use, and you might not yeah. use a specific walk every time you go out and hunt year-round, but you can still stay within that same general area as, you know, the year goes on, and you're still going to find birds within that, you know, one-mile block. And so, like, let's say you have, you know, a stream that runs somewhere and even like, let's say like last year it was a drought year, but you had a stream that ran through on the backside of a cut. Uh, the cut was real dry because there was a drought that you had. I'd go down into some of those, you know, creeks where everything was lush and green and there was a lot of different habitat growing up in there. There was a lot of different food sources growing up in there. There'd be a lot of, there was a lot of birds running along those creeks, but still within that area, there was still a big, you know, a pine thicket across the road something as well. Something for Yep, something for them to find, you know, wintering cover in. There's still an older, you know, 30-year-old 30, 30 aspen cut across as well. They need the buds on it in the winter. Yep, food for winter. And there's everything is right there within that same area. So you might hunt it a lot different first week of October than you might hunt it coming back in December but you're not, you're not giving up on the spot just because you're not doing this you're doing the same walk and the birds aren't there on that same walk you're just kind of shifting they yourself shifted to around new habitat right yeah and that's same thing depending on the year the time of the year i'm looking for different type of habitat in no late october mm-hmm. november than i am early october uh-huh. you know i'm looking for them young cuts early october mm-hmm. come October, end of October, November, I'm looking for a little bit of scrub oak or pine mixed in yeah. there for sure, or that beech nut. Something, something that's that got holds, yeah, cover. something that now held its leaves. And you'll put a dog down in an aspen cut that has no leaves on it. They've all fallen. That dog's going to go work to the nearest beech nut little pile. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a grouse hiding in there because it has nowhere else to go. Yep. Yep. And then just being able to look at your spot before you go into it and realize you know, what the type of cover is that you're going into. So, you know, you have, you know, your, your A spot that you're going to try and find something in right away. And if you don't hit something in spot A, you're still getting to point B. You have a decent walk routed other than just walking aimlessly through the woods. Yes. That's a big thing. You don't, I never want to go on just an aimless walk through the woods and hope that we're going to stumble across a bird at some point because we're doing a two hour walk and our chances. Yeah. If I did a two hour walk in the woods. So yeah, there's probably a good chance that at some point point, I'm going to walk across a bird at some point. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to walk across one or two. Like if you hit a spot, my th- I, a lot of people are like, what happened to the grouse in the middle of their day? Like, you find the shadow. Even that's the, always the bird's hiding spot. It's its exit strategy. It, them dark areas. If you go into a spot, you know, all right, there's some blowdowns back there. Blowdowns add cover. They add shadows. Mm-hmm. The beech nut, when the leaves are down, they add cover. It adds shadows. You look to those dark areas. Sure, your dog's out there hunting, but you're trying to at least walk in those directions to where you know you have a chance of finding a bird there. You're not just moseying around the woods going, let's see what we find. Course in new cover. I like using my map and go, well, this creates a point here, or this created, looks like there's a little funnel here. Uh-huh. Or, you know, it looks like there's a big chunk of pines in the back of this. Yeah. I'm going to poke to those instead of just walking mm-hmm. in a big circle. I'm going to go in direct lines while my dog's out doing the hunting. Yep. Yep. Or if there's, you know, 
let's say I'm looking at a cut on the map and it has everything around it that I want to hunt, but let's say on the very back side of that cut, it's a clearing, it's an opening. Heck, maybe it's even another cut that they did next to it and it's just like they just cut it last year. It's either that or it's just like a wide open meadow. There's nothing there. I'm typically not going to do a full loop around that cut because I'm not expecting backside, anything yeah. to be on that back side where it's there's... very exposed to elements, predators, there's no cover back there. Yep, there's nothing back there. Now, you might, you know, if it... Again, it comes down to the time of day, too. You might get lucky in the morning if it's a real cold morning, there's frost yeah, on the ground, the there's a sun coming up. That might be a good spot to look first thing in the morning if a bird's coming down off the roost and wants to just hang out on the edge of cover in a clearing and opening... But it's not always situational for every part of the day. So I guess depending on the time of day I'm going in, I would typically avoid a spot like that. And I would just shift my route going somewhere else. Yeah, you change your loop a little through there. Yeah, But um, another thing, situational, we've had some great weekends where we got a little dusting of snow mm-hmm. or two or three inches of snow. And then we got a little warm front. And over the next day and a half, the southern side of those faces, the mm-hmm. hills melted off. It didn't matter what the cover was. Uh-huh. They, it could have been oaks because the, we have that snowberry. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that snow melted off them southern-facing slopes, that's all you had to go walk. You just had to stay out of the snow and uh-huh. find leaves, and there was birds all over. I've had some great weekends where I watched the weather in some areas and was like, all right, they just got two inches of snow. Uh-huh. Now it's getting up to the high 30s, low 40s for two days. All the southern faces are melted off. All the birds in the area are packed into those. Yep. Another good situation, if you can kind of plan your time around a hunt, and it's it's hard to do, you know, it's like, because sometimes, you know, snow on the other side of the state or an hour away is hard to just to judge and get a good reading on, but, you know, you know if they got two or three inches and you can slip in there in a couple of days with a warm front coming through, yep. the first place that snow leaves, there's going to be birds in it. Yep, yep, absolutely. And then there's even another part of looking at how you're going into a spot going to hunt especially now after you know having a few different dogs to run what dog am i taking in here to run how Depending does on the cover yeah how does how does this spot match up and fit the style of dog that i plan on running ground. Yep. yeah yeah big time is it a big area that i'm going in to look for um am i taking a bigger running dog into there a big loop we're gonna make is it more linear cover where i'm just working one small little patch where i want a dog cutting right in front of me working in front of me you know within 75 yards you know it all depends on that type of cover of what dog i'm going to take into that spot yeah no that's a big part of it too now that you have you know even if you're just looking at a spot on a map or it's a spot you've been to and you know all right this dog in this area is going to work better Mm -hmm. there's no reason like if you know you have a big running dog there why go heckle it to go run yeah some short you know linear cover if you have a dog that likes to get away from you and come back Mm-hmm. That's a great dog to put down in lineal cover because now you're pinching birds in between you. Yeah. That's and you know that's a great dog to put down in that scenario and uh, that's yeah that just comes to having more dogs knowing your dogs and knowing what your, the situations you're uh-huh. putting them into. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we answered that question, but I, I guess when I pull up to a spot, if this is the scenario they wanted to go in. When I pull up to a spot and set my dog down and I go to take off, I'm looking for the thickest spot I can find and the darkest spot mm-hmm. I can find. And I'm going to go walk past it because I know my dog's going to work it then. Uh-huh. And then from once I make it to that spot, I'm looking for the next pine tree. I'm looking for the next thickest area that that bird can go run yep. to to hide. Because yep. very rarely do you catch that bird 
with its pants on the ground and it's sitting out in the wide open. It uh-huh. at least heard you coming and heard a dog coming and it's using that escape cover yep. immediately. Yep. It ain't waiting around for you to get there. It's trying to get away. Yep. So I always look for those dark areas and bounce from where I walk. It's kind of like rabbit hunting as a kid. Like I had a beagle growing up and it was like, well, I'm at least going to this thicket and this thicket. I'm mm-hmm. still kicking the piles. You know, but it was like, that's what I'm looking for. You're like, I'm looking for that thick spot to bounce to. And I might zigzag through there walking from good spot to good spot. But I know my dog's off doing what I need it to do. Yep. It's just reading what's directly in front of you, making adjustments on the fly as you're walking and not just aimlessly walking, hoping that we're going to come across something eventually. Even yeah. though it might be a birdie area, it might be a good area, being able to dissect it while you're in there and reading what's in front of you to be able to go from spot to spot instead of just making a loop. That goes right back to getting in position for your shot, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not just walking aimlessly through there. Like, I'm always looking for a gap that I can shoot through, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm moving to. In my short distance, I'm like, well, I can shoot from here, I can shoot from there, you know, if I'm working with a dog. Like, you're looking for those holes. Don't put yourself in a bad situation. Yep. Same thing if you're walking through the woods looking at this cover. Don't put yourself in a bad situation to where you're working with your dog and you're out of position. Don't let that dog go down and hunt some of that stuff. You stay out of the way. You walk the dog there and you can kind of work your way around with that dog to put yourself in a good situation always. I don't know how many times we've been up with new guys that are hunting and Uh they're staying on the wrong side of a tree and it's Mm -hmm. like, well, they go to duck under a log and say, you should just walk around that thing. You know, and dissected the cover a little bit differently to where you had shots going this way until yep. you went and had a duck under this thing. You should have just walked around. Yeah, oh, yeah. Especially if your your dog's working something, you know your dog's on a bird. You've also then got to be looking ahead. Where's my shot coming from? I always do it. You know, step by step. If I can, I look at and find a point. All right, if I can make it to here, that's where my shot would be. And if we don't put the bird up yet, then I start looking ahead again for the next spot, and we just keep moving up moving up and then eventually i'm still in yeah. a good position whenever we're, wherever we make it to the bird finally gets up yeah you know, yeah it's the same way the whole way whole way through that thing i'm looking for that dark spot where that bird could be mm-hmm. whether i'm walking to it whether i got a dog with me and then once the dog's with me working a bird i'm looking for that dark spot the bird's going to come out of uh-huh. but yet i'm working to an open area or a light area I'm working towards the light, knowing the bird's coming out of the dark because you got more of a shot uh, shooting out of the light. It's yeah. more open there. Yeah. That's pretty much how I'm dissecting my cover when I go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was good. I think that... Answer that question? Yeah, that was good. So, yeah, I think we'll go... Yeah, I mean, that was fun. I mean, talking a lot about grouse like there, I mean, it got a lot of things flowing through my head. A lot of different, you know, pictures, thinking about how situations play out. Got me excited. Not that I wasn't already excited, but now, yeah. Yeah, I've been here, been here for a week now. We've been running the dogs, been playing with the puppies, sat down and did this. And yep. Yeah, I'm itching to go. Yep. And I've got everything time. packed in the truck and ready to head out there. And the solar panel, I went and got a solar generator. I got a bed in the back seat and a little tent and wood stove to take along with me. And I'm going to go live on a prairie for a couple months and get these dogs yep. ready for fall. Badass. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, hope you guys enjoyed the show if you're still listening at this point thanks for tuning in if there's anything ever that you want to hear more of send over a message on instagram email uplander at 18 at gmail.com 
shoot Justin a message, hit him up on Instagram, follow along with him in Montana this fall. He's going to be doing some cool stuff. It's uh, Northern Forest Gun Dogs yep. at Northern Forest Gun Dogs. So yeah, there's Facebook too. I'm not on there much, but if you have uh, questions or anything, feel free to reach out and ask me anything. Training, whatever it might be, meet a dog, ran some advice, want to get together this fall. Feel free to shoot me a message. See what we can do. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave you guys with that. And until then, have fun with your dog out there. And good luck this fall. Yep. It's coming, boys. So yeah. we'll leave it at that. Cheers.